Well, good morning. My name's Steve, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Genesis Church. I'm going to invite our host team to come forward and take up our offering right now. Yeah! Love it. Hey, if you are a guest or visitor, please uh, just let the bag pass by. Let this service be our gift to you. Don't feel compelled to participate. If you're a regular attender, if you call Genesis Church your home, this is your last chance to give to Genesis Church this year, so make it a good one. I don't know what to say about that, but this is your... Um, so, what a difference a day makes, huh? Anybody get out and enjoy the uh, nearly 70-degree weather yesterday? Yeah? We, uh, I, I got to go out for a little run in the morning, but most of the day, we were inside uh, undertaking our annual ritual now of taking down all the Christmas decorations. It is, after all, December 27th, or it was yesterday, and uh, so we can't let those linger any longer than, than we need to. Uh, in fact, we are... Huge Christmas fans. We love Christmas. Uh, the decorations uh, used to come out at our house. Uh, August, September, they would come down out of the attic for a while just to, to kind of look at them and go through them. In fact, we had this, um, th- there was a time in our lives, my wife Benita and I, before we had kids, where we actually, you know, collected Christmas ornaments and Christmas dishes. And, and we would go to July. There was a, a store down in, in July, there was a store down in uh, in Castleton for a while that was called Graham's Crackers, and it had uh, Christmas ornaments year-round. You could go buy Christmas ornaments, and so we'd go in July and go down to this store and buy ornaments, and we got to where we had quite a collection of, you know, glass-blown Christmas ornaments and Christmas dishes and things like that until um, about two years ago. We had just moved into a new house, and uh, it was December before we moved in, and uh, it was the first time we'd ever had vaulted ceilings, and so I decided, as head of the household that we needed to have a Christmas tree befitting a vaulted ceilings. So we went to Stony Creek Farm, and we bought a 13-foot cut white pine tree, okay? So that, you know, I I don't know, so that it would fill up the windows in our our living room or whatever. And uh, this would allow us to display all of our Christmas ornaments. And so uh, we we did this. We got... We seem to buy a Christmas tree stand every year, too. I don't know about you, but we cannot seem to find the right tree stand that, that fits all the Christmas trees that we tend to buy. So we, at one time, we had four Christmas trees in our house, in our old house. So just to tell you how much we love Christmas. And we set this tree up and got all of our Christmas ornaments on it. And my wife was really disappointed because there were some, we had just moved in, and there were some ornaments that were her great-grandparents, and she couldn't find them anywhere. So those didn't get on the tree. But on day two of this tree... I walked in the door, in the front door, and shut the front door just in time to see this 13-foot white pine come crashing down in front of me. And it was one of those things that you see in the movies where I'm running in slow motion going, no! And I watched this tree falling right towards me, and all I can do is just stand and watch it. And it falls, and I hear the breaking and shattering of Christmas tree ornaments. And about two-thirds of our ornaments on the tree were gone. And in fact, we keep now this jar that has the shattered remains of Christmas tree ornaments. We put this out on our china hutch every year just to remind us of all the beautiful ornaments that we used to have. And, and as a father I, I, as, and as a husband, I felt very guilty about this because it was, it was my fault. Obviously, part of my job as head of the household is to put the tree in the stand so it doesn't fall over. And here we lost two-thirds of our Christmas tree ornaments. My wife was just full of grace about it, though, and she said, you know, this gives me a chance to start over again. And so, um, but we keep this around because the memories that were in 
you know, collecting the ornaments and also the memory of that and, and that, that kind of, def- kind of uh, destroyed the, this false meaning of Christmas that we had built up, that it was about the ornaments and the decorations and the dishes and things like that. And so it's good for me to see this. And so this is one of the, I, I actually <laughs> called my wife um, from work on Friday and said, hey, I'm sure you're putting away decorations now because it's the 26th, um, but don't put away the jar because I want to take that to church and show people. So we've got the jar right there. And if you go through our house right now, probably the, one, of the only, one of the few things left is uh, my favorite now of our Christmas decorations, and that is on our pantry door, we have all the pictures that people send at Christmas now. You know, you get a lot of Christmas cards that have pictures of people's kids on them. And so we've got on our pantry door, we're, we're very blessed. We have, uh, you know, the cards from last year and two years ago, and, and we've got those, so many of those that we now fill the pantry door. So we had to move to the back door on the other side of the kitchen, and we're starting to put pictures around that. And it's just such a neat experience for us to go, to be able to just kind of look and see, you know, look at people's kids, and we watch how they grow over the years. And we look back, and we think about, you know, how faithful God is to us that he gives us all these great friends and, and how many things have happened in our lives since we, you know, since two years ago when we, we knew these kids. And, and just the same today, I was sitting up here and I came, came in early to get ready for the service and I saw uh, Heath and Charity Martin up here. And I don't know if you guys, Charity was standing over here and Heath was playing keyboards. And it's just so great to have them back for today. And then, I mean, I just, he, it's, it's great to hear Charity sing. And I asked her, if she ever gets a chance to just come here and come to church because they live in Georgia now and whenever they come up, it seems like she's singing and Heath's playing keys. Um, but it's so good to have them back. But I look at their kids and I'm like, their kids are, you know, they're, they're like kids. They're not babies anymore. They're little kids. And I just, we look back and we think about, um, remember the good things in our lives and, and even the bad things in our lives. And we think about how faithful God's been to us through all that. And I was, as I was thinking about this week, that this week, I just thought, you know, it'd be really good for us as a church just to take a few minutes and look back over the past year and just remember how faithful God's been to us. And so I I just wanted to do that for the first few minutes of today. Just take a look back and see. I I think you'll be amazed if if you don't remember it off the top of your head, all the things that God's really done at Genesis Church over this year. And so at the beginning of 2008 in January, we had just moved into this facility. We've only been here a little more than a year. You may remember October 2007 was when we moved in, and it didn't look like it looks today when we moved in. There's some pictures up here. We're going to show you on the side screens. This is the outside of the building before we moved in. Um, It looks a little different with the Genesis Church signs and the flags and also the green grass. Uh, That has nothing to do with us. It just has to do with the season. And And then the next picture here, you can see some of the unfinished work in the Gen Kids space. This is what the Gen Kids space looked like while we were working on it. You can see the, the tile floor that's now been covered up. And um, it just, it looks so different without all the equipment and the sound. And that's after it's been painted, obviously. Uh, you can see the colors. Or, you know, that did, the building didn't come like that. That was a warehouse. And, and we had a group of volunteers that did that. But the, the one thing that I always remember, and, and Judy, if you show the next picture, is that this time last year, if you came into this building, when you walked into the cafe, it was freezing cold. You remember that? I mean, I know it's, it's, it's a little chilly today. It's probably 60 degrees out in the cafe. But for a while in, in December and January, it was like 35 and 40 degrees in the cafe if you walked in. And if you weren't here at that time, uh, it's probably a good thing. You can see there's, there's no cafe there. But the key in this picture is that wall. You see that, that corrugated tin wall behind uh, Angie Parker and, and Penny Geyer standing there? That wall, we soon realized, was the source of a lot of our heating frustrations and so um, that wall is the corrugated steel wall that also happened to serve as the outside wall to the building. 
And uh, so about January, when we realized that it was freezing cold and, and we, we, we tried everything. We came in on Saturday and cranked up the heat and it would be, you know, it might get up to 50 in there by Sunday morning. And so we tried a lot of different things. And finally, um, Brian Winty and our, our facilities team said, hey, if you can get the materials, we can fix that problem. And so I just remember um, having the, the materials donated to the church and uh, a crew of six, seven, eight guys came in and uh, over the course of about a week or a week and a half, I think it was, built up, framed in, insulated and drywalled and painted a new wall in the cafe to, to, keep the, to keep the cold air out, and it did a good job of keeping the, the hot air out in the summer. And I was just thinking about that as one of the first this year, and that's one of the things I love about this church is that people see a need, and they step up and fill it. And I just think that's awesome that we were able to do that. And there, seven or eight guys gave their weekends to do that, and then um, you know we've got the, the wall sconces up. One of the guys donated the materials and the labor to put the wall sconces up, and it just looks so, and, and we had a group build a cafe uh, counter for us, and it just looks so, so great and so inviting for guests when it comes in. And I, I just think about that and how faithful God is, uh, has been through us through that, through that process of moving into this building and, and uh, getting things updated and renovated. So then uh, in April, we stood up here and made an announcement that our lead pastor, Jeff Smith, was leaving uh, to plant a church in his hometown of West Plains, Missouri. And that was something that we as leaders of the church were real excited about. Um, frankly, probably because we'd been on that journey with Jeff. When we hired Jeff uh, back in 2005, I think it was, 2006, I guess, 2006, um, he, he said, you know, I'll come to Genesis Church. I really feel like God's calling me to, to come work at Genesis. But he said, I got to tell you, um, I feel this pull in my heart to go back to my hometown sometime. And, and so we kind of knew that was coming. And frankly, I wish we'd have we'd pulled everybody else along with us so that it wouldn't have been such a shock when Jeff announced that. But at, at the same time, there was a group of people that just said, hey, we want to get behind this thing in West Plains, Missouri. Most of you had never been to West Plains, Missouri. Most of us had never heard of it. I had to go look at a map to see where it was. Um, but I was real excited about the prospect that we could take kind of what we're all about here at Genesis Church with helping people find their way back to God and, and duplicate that in another place far away with people we don't know um, and in a place we don't know. And they didn't even know where we were going to meet. And so we stood up here in front of, of this church with that vision and said, hey, we want to take this and duplicate it somewhere in southern Missouri. And um, we, we felt like, as a board and as elders, that we were being called to give $5,000 to this effort. I mean, Jeff had to raise $100,000 on his own to get this church going. Uh, he had a group behind him planning the church, and that wasn't the whole cost of it, but he had to raise that. And so we, as, as a church, gave $5,000. But then on Jeff's last Sunday, he got up on this stage, on this stage, because this stage wasn't here, on this stage, and um, we, we asked for you to, to really consider what God was calling you to do to that effort, to help plant Genesis, uh, Genesis Church of the Ozarks, Genesis in West, Plain, Missouri, West Plains, Missouri. And this group gave another $6,500 to that effort to help reach people that we don't know in a place that we've never heard of, and we didn't know where they were going to meet or what it was going to look like, but there was a group of people that just got behind that vision. And I wanted to show you, I talked to Jeff this week, and I just wanted to show you a couple of things that are happening at Genesis West Plains. They had um, one of their first preview service was last weekend, December 21st. This is, this is where they're meeting, if you can show that next picture, Judy. This is the Opera House in West Plains, Missouri. So they meet there once a week. They come in and set up all the equipment and tear it down after it's over. And if those of you who know Jeff know he must be loving that. And go ahead and show the, the pictures of the inside. This is where they meet. Um, you can see the stage in the background. 
They've got it set up in tables right now, which is pretty cool. Show that last picture, Judy. This is the stage where, where uh, they play the music and Jeff speaks. And you can see there's nice access to the outside there where you can roll the cases in, just like we had at the, at the elementary school. And so I'm sure Jeff's loving that. But I, I just want to read an email to you that I got from Jeff this week because I'd, I'd ask him about the, uh, the preview service. He said, they, they've been meeting in, in Jeff's house for a while and then here, and they've been having a core group of about 40 to 50 people that have been meeting with him every week that are helping launch the church. Jeff said, uh, we had 103 people at our first preview service, um, and that was with five-degree temps and ice, which that's like it usually is here. He's not used to that there. So January 4th is their next preview. They're expecting that'll jump dramatically. The cool part is they had five new families that are totally unchurched, never been to church in their life before, came to Genesis West Plains. Every single couple said they loved it, and they're planning to bring friends with them when they come next time. Um, Many commented that they'd never seen church done that way, and they loved every minute of it. Here's the funny part. Jeff says he spoke for 20 minutes. I don't believe that. He says, 20 minutes. He says, stop laughing and pick yourself up off the floor. Anyway, what's so funny is several people commented the service was too short, and uh, there's a lot of unchurched people there. He said, um, the neatest thing came from a young couple. One of their core group members had invited a young couple, completely unchurched, in their early 30s. And as they got there, the guy, the guy and the couple went to get some coffee, and his girlfriend said, you know, I don't know how much longer I can live with a drunk. And the core group member turned to him and said, you're in the right place because this is the kind of place that we want to be where we invite everybody and, and allow everybody. The couple both commented following the service that they're bringing friends next time. Never been to church before. They come to this church, and next time they're going to bring friends, they're inviting people. So that's very cool. He says, the amazing thing is to hear the stories of the people that the core group already, con- his core group already consists of someone who had been involved in a local swingers club, another who had recently been arrested for DWI, another who cheated on his wife and is now finding his way after the resulting divorce, They're all on a new journey. Oh, a 17-year-old who was dealing drugs earlier this year. They're all on a new journey with God and bringing others in. How totally awesome is that? And those of you who know Jeff will get a kick out of this. He's also got four of the Burger King crew coming to the church, and he's working on two for McDonald's. So, and it's just so cool to me that we get to be a part of that, and all because you, as the church, were faithful to the call of God. Another... Another area where you just see a need and you step up and fill it. I love that about this church. Of course, Jeff's leaving left a big hole up here on stage. And, um, you know, our team undertook trying to find the right person to fill that hole. And and we found Paul Mumaw. And, um, yeah. Actually, uh, T-Rock... Our children's director is the one that introduced us to Paul, and uh, she's the first one that mentioned his name, but then that same week, we talked uh, to a friend of ours from White River Christian. He said, hey, I think I got the guy that you need to talk to, and uh, so we talked to Paul, and we love Paul a lot, um, but then we met Jenny, and we knew it was a great fit. We knew that that was the couple we wanted to lead this church, and um, it's really great. Paul's, Paul fit in really well here, don't you think? I mean, he's like easily the second best teacher we have here at Genesis, and <laughs> after Steve Davis, and uh, so... I just think that's awesome that we were able to find that. And it's just, God has just been so faithful to us as a church. And and just a couple other things that we did here. Um, We we did, uh, you may remember this summer in July, uh, we participated in Faith, Hope, and Love Day in this community. We had about a dozen people from Genesis that gave up their Wednesday to go help fix and paint a fence, uh, restore a park, to help uh, side a house in the old part of Noblesville that needed help, and, and see a need, and you fill it. We had hoped to take uh, nine kids to Big Stuff Camps this summer in July and in May. This is a picture of some of our girls that uh, with, that's James David Carter from the Big Stuff Band. He is so hot. You just would not believe. I heard all about it. 
So I know. James David, really nice guy, but that's some of our group. And, and you know, we, we go to Daytona Beach, and it's a really expensive trip. It costs the church about, it costs total about $800 to send a kid to this camp because the camp itself is almost $400. Then we have to buy plane tickets, and then we have to, for transportation on the ground, and then we have to get some meals. And so um, we were going to charge the students $400 each, and that was just a little too much for some of the students. And so what we'd hoped to do with nine students I just had this harebrained idea that let's take over the cafe for a Sunday. This will be our first fundraiser, and we need to work up a few fundraisers to raise $1,800. And if we raised $1,800, that would be $200 per kid per student. So every student would then only have to pay $200, a lot more reasonable. So we took over the cafe, and we really didn't do anything extraordinary. You know, we, I, we, we encouraged the students to serve you better than, you know, to, to be served, not to serve you better. We get served great now, but to just kind of go up above and beyond and go out of their way and, and to not stalk you, but, you know, do a good job of serving you. And so they did that. And we brought in some donuts and pop and stuff like that. And we needed to raise $1,800 and we raised $2,500 on that day alone to send kids to Big Stuff Camp. And that was awesome. So kids that, students that wouldn't have got to go, got to go. And then just giving in general, you know, when, when Paul got here, one of the things he realized very quickly was that the financial situation of the church wasn't great, that we had a lot of expenses that we needed to cover, and we had spent, through the transition period um, between pastors, we'd spent a lot of the reserve that we had built up in, in the past, in fact, almost all of it. And so Paul, one of his first weeks here, um, one of the reasons I admire the guy is he had to get up here on stage and, and say, hey, if you're a part of Genesis Church, stay after because we need to talk about something. And, and he came up and uh, asked you to step up and step up your giving. And Paul, Paul said that, you know, our, uh, our, our budget for the year was $9,400, and he just challenged us to be at that um, from October through the rest of the year. Now, what Paul didn't tell you was that our kind of, we were at the point where we were going to have to make some decisions about personnel, about facilities, about, we were at the point where if giving didn't improve, we needed to make a change. And our kind of minimum living expense, uh, you know, level was $7,800 a year, or a, a week, $7,800 a week of offering. Can anybody guess what we've been at uh, for the last three months? $7,800 a week. So we had gone from $6,500 a week in September to $7,800 a week. And in fact, um, one, one week, it was $11,500 in one week in offering. And last week, if you look in the bulletin, because we keep you updated on this stuff, over $11,000 in, in offering in one week. And so, again, not that it's about the money, because it's not, and not that it's about your serving, because it's not, but just another area where people really see a need and step up and fill it. And that's what I love about this church. Last week, we had an additional offering for Living Water. And uh, we didn't really have a goal in mind other than if everybody in the church, we ask you to give up one gift and, uh, you know, could you do that? Could you give up one gift and give the money to Living Water? We raised $4,000 for Living Water last week on top of our $11,000 offering, which is just incredible to me because what that means is that we actually have the opportunity to purchase a well for a village in Africa. There is a village, a group of people that will now have clean drinking water because of Genesis Church. Isn't that cool? That, that people will, will, for the rest of their lives, the kids that grew up in that village will go to the well and get water out of that well, and they will remember God's faithfulness every time they go to the water, go to the well and get water. I just think that is so cool. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we did. There's a lot of stuff to come, I'm sure. But here's what I want to talk about today. 
we, can, we need to be pleased with our achievements. We need to be glad about what we've done. But we can't stand around and high-five each other and say, look, aren't we great? Look at all the things that we've done. Because it's not us that gets to do these things. It's actually God's grace that allows us to be involved with these cool things. We can, we can fall into the trap of thinking that we're paying God back for something or that we're, we're you know, making ourselves great. But if you have your Bible, if you'll turn it to 2 Peter chapter 1, read from verse 3 and 4. It says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. See, God has given us everything we need to live a holy life, to live a godly life. It's not that that we can go out on our own and do this stuff. It's God's grace that allows us to do that. And see, that's hard for some of us to hear because some of us are trying to earn our way into heaven right now. Some of us are serving on Sunday mornings because we feel guilty about the way we treat our own kids or that we don't have enough time at home. And some of us are, are giving to the church because we feel guilty because we're greedy in other areas of our life. And we're trying to make up for the shortcomings in our life. Some of us are working really hard to try to earn our way into heaven. But here's what I wanted you to, to know. As we left here this year, I didn't want you to leave this year because we've been talking a lot over the past three months about the importance of giving, about the importance of serving. And those are great and important things. But what I didn't want you to leave here thinking was that deeds are your way into heaven, that you could do something to earn your way. It's only God's grace that saves us. When we give our hearts over to God, it's not our heart isn't our gift to God. It's God's gift to us that allows us to be in his kingdom and to to serve him. His grace forgives sins, gives us a purpose for our life, and gives us a way into heaven to spend eternity with him. It's God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Grace, if you've never heard the term, it's kind of a churchy word, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is G-R-A-C-E. You've heard grace called God's riches at Christ's expense. We get God's kingdom and we didn't pay anything for it. Grace is a gift that we didn't deserve. Grace is, let me show you what grace is. How you doing? What's your name? Nathan. Nathan, good to meet you. I'm Steve. Nathan, here's 20 bucks. Enjoy. Wow. Why did I pick Nathan? I don't know. He was close to the aisle. I didn't know him. Um, I had 20 bucks in my pocket. I thought I'd give it away. It's a gift that he didn't deserve, right? What did Nathan do to deserve it? He didn't do anything. But see, we kind of get this this idea that that God's kind of like Santa Claus, right? And he's got this big naughty list and this big nice list. And if we do more nice things than naughty things in our life, that that will, you know, earn our place with him and that we'll get some kind of gift. But the truth is, that's not, that doesn't make any sense, right? We try to earn our way, but the truth is it's God's grace that allows us to have a place in heaven with him. It's God's grace. God said, uh, I, in fact, in John 15, 16, I've got the verse up here on the screen. Jesus says, I, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So the question I always ask is why me and not someone else? I mean, 
Certainly there are people who have done more good than I have in my life or they've done less bad in their life than I have and they don't even know about Jesus. They don't even know his grace. Why did I win the eternity lottery and others won't? Most of all, why did God in all his righteousness decide to save any of us at all in all of our wretchedness? Well, I love the example from this book. How many of you read this book, The Shack? Yeah, a few of you, good. I fall short of recommending this book. I will tell you, it's a, it's a fiction book. I love the read. Some people have a problem with it, but I think it's a great, there's a lot of great pictures in here of, of God and of the Trinity and some things that happen in here that maybe you don't agree with, but if you're curious at all and you're, um, you like to read things that are fiction or fiction, but are about faith, it's a great book. And there's a great example in here, and I don't want to give away what happens in the book, but through a series of events, events, the main character, Mac, Mac um, runs into several encounters with God. Let's just say it that way. And he gets this chance to sit in judgment of the world. He sees God as this judgmental God, and he gets a chance to, to sit in judgment and judge people that have wronged him in his life, and then to judge God. And then, as the last challenge, the woman that he's meeting with says, all right now, Mac, you get to choose. You have five kids. Three of them are going to hell. Two of them are going to heaven. You pick which three. And he says, no, no, I can't do it. And she says, no, no, you have to do it. You don't understand. How about, how about this one? You guys haven't been getting along very well. Can you send her first? That seems like an easy pick. And Mac says, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't do this. I won't do this. And, and the lady said, no, you have to. This is how you view God. You have to do this. And finally, Matt just falls down on his knees and he says, no, please let me go instead. And he says, now you're starting to think like Jesus. And see, that's the gift that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can be fooled into thinking that we did something that we deserve to be saved. Can't we? I mean, it's real easy. <laughs> In fact, you could look at people in the Bible and you could think, well, obviously they're in heaven because they did great things. Let's look at Paul. You know, Paul, um, you know, he wrote half of the New Testament. He wrote all the, all the letters from Romans all the way up through, what's the last one Paul wrote? Titus, I guess. And so all that part of the New Testament, Paul wrote that. And you can look at that and you go, well, Paul clearly deserved. But, you know, Paul was a murderer before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. If you haven't read that story, it's in the book of Acts. I, I, you should pick it up and read it. It's a great story. And, and Paul even says in Galatians, he says that God set me apart from birth to do this. And so the whole time that Paul was not walking with God, that he was persecuting people, he didn't know it, but he realized it later that God had set him apart at birth. And you think, well, okay, maybe he was, maybe he was a good baby. I mean, maybe he did some things, you know, maybe. Um, but then you look at the story of John the Baptist. And if you look, if you read the Christmas story, as, as we tend to do around Christmas, you look at the story, uh, high, high, highly interrelated to the story of the birth of Jesus is the birth of John the Baptist. And uh, John, uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, is, uh, is pregnant at the same time. And, uh, and an angel comes to Elizabeth and tells her that your son is going to prepare the way for, my sa- for, for the Messiah. And so even before he was born, before birth, John was set apart in what he was to do. And so maybe you think, well, maybe he was a really good fetus. I don't know. Maybe he, you know, just did some great things while he was there. But then you look at the book of Jeremiah, and you look back at the book of Jeremiah, and and God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I set you apart to be my prophet to the nations. And so the story here is that God has a purpose for you, and God's grace has made it possible 
for you to carry out his purpose for you here on the earth. And I just don't want you to leave here this year without knowing that, without hearing that. You know, the most probably famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. By believing in him, his grace allows our sins to be forgiven, allows a purpose for our life here, and gives us a place in heaven. And maybe you just needed to hear that today. I mean, maybe you haven't been coming to church very long, and you, every time you come, you hear about how important it is for you to start giving or start serving or stop cussing or stop sleeping with your girlfriend or stop doing whatever it is you're doing. And you think that that's what church is all about. That's not what this place is all about. Or maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you know the story and you know that Jesus died for you, but you've kind of forgotten because for you it's become all about living the Christian life and I want to look good for my friends and I want to, I want to do the good things and I want to serve in the places I need to serve. But you've forgotten that God gave you a gift through Christ that saves you and whatever you've done in the past... And whatever you're going to do in the future is forgiven. It's gone. It's wiped away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. In fact, I want you to know today that Ephesians 4, 7 says that, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Think about that. Think about the measure of Christ's gift. I mean, Christ's gift was leaving a perfect heaven and coming down to earth to live, starting as a baby. He left heaven, which I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I'm pretty much guaranteed it's better than it is here. And I like my life here. I think it's great. But heaven's a lot... I'm reading the book of Revelation right now because it's December and we're almost at the end of the Bible. And so I'm reading Revelation and I I just see um, this picture of heaven in there and I don't understand half of it. I mean, so much of it... John is writing the book of Revelation and he says, and I looked and oh... It's like, oh, there's something new. Oh, a surprise. Oh, look at that. Oh, it's kind of like, and he's trying to explain what heaven's like. And I look at that, and all I see is all these people, these powerful people, the the elders and the creatures and the things in heaven, and they're all looking at God going, oh, God, you're so holy, you're so holy, you're so holy. And I think, how great a place must this be? And Jesus left that. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word became flesh and came to earth. And Jesus left that for us to come live as a baby, completely dependent on somebody else for all of his earthly needs, put himself into the arms of a, of a young woman. Second Corinthians, he, he, he came and li- to live as a human and in the process show us how. And he didn't come and live as a king. He didn't come live as a wealthy man. He came and lived as a pauper. He walked around. He never had a home to call his own, the Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That's the measure of Christ's gift to us. And we have grace that's that much grace because Christ, who was rich, became poor so that we could be rich. That's the measure of Christ's gift. Christ's gift is submitting to the authority of this world, the authority that he created, Submitting to that authority and dying a horrible, painful, wicked death, being tortured and teased and spit upon and left hanging on a tree. That is the measure of Christ's gift. And the Bible says that each of us received that much grace. That's how much grace we got. Each of us, everybody in this room, got that much grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Do do you get that? Do you see what that means? That's huge. 
Christ's gift is enormous. And sometimes we feel guilty about getting that. And so what we want to do is we want to do something to kind of pay God back for everything he's done for us, right? And like, you know, poor Nathan over there, he's got a $20 bill in his pocket, and he's probably thinking, okay, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this now? Am I supposed to you know, drop this in the offering? Do I give it back to him after the certain? It's a gift, Nathan. Go have lunch or whatever. It's a gift. It's like if a friend of yours came up to you after church today and said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? We'll have a nice dinner. We'll hang out. It'll be fun. And you say, okay. And then you go over there tonight, and you get there and your friends, they open the door and, and he's dressed in a black tie and she's dressed in a formal dress and they open the door and they let you in and they, you, you hang out and you have hors d'oeuvres and you have great conversation in the kitchen. You can't remember the last time you had such great conversation. It's not our house, by the way, somebody else's house. And so you hang out for a while with friends and then they sit you down at the table and they serve you a great meal and they serve you um, a filet mignon and it's served on fine china. And champagne, if you're a drinker, and grape juice, if you're not. And they serve you, you know, your favorite food. And then the, there's a beautiful seven-layer chocolate tort for dessert. That sounds good. And then after dinner, you retire to the parlor, and you sit around, and they light a fire, and you sit around, and you, you play a board game. And you don't remember the last time you played a board game because your kids are always in your hair, and you can't really figure out, you know, when to get time to sit down and play Trivial Pursuit, you know, or whatever, and you do that, and you just have the best time you ever remember uh, in a long time, and finally, you look at the clock, and it's nearly midnight, and you think, you know, I got to get going. I've, I've really got to leave. What do I owe you for all this? I mean, it's been great. You, you can't repay a night like that, right? You can't, and it's insulting to the host to try to repay that, but that's what we do a lot of times when we try to, to do things to earn our way with God. And frankly, I don't think in the church that we talk about grace enough. I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty of this as every teacher I know, that as a teacher in the church, I seem to think that my greatest goal in life every time I'm up here should be to get you to change your life somehow. It should be to get you to, to start doing something, to, 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 to act It should be to get you to go serve somebody. It should be to get you to give something of yourself. But it's not. See, for me to change somebody's life, I need to teach you that grace is not enough. You need to have grace and give your tithe, okay? If you're going to be saved, that's what you need to do. You need to give grace and you need to serve. You need to give grace and you need to stop cussing. And you need to live your life like God says. You need grace plus, grace plus, grace plus. But the Bible tells us that we've all got grace in accordance with the measure of Christ's gift. Christ's body was broken for you. His blood was spilled for you. As he hung on the cross, your face went through his mind. That plus nothing is enough for anyone. So don't leave here for the last time this year thinking that God's grace isn't enough for whatever you've done, whatever you're going to do, whatever you're involved in now. It'll cover anything. It will. You know, one of the things that I really love about Christmas now as a father is getting to see it through the eyes uh, of my children. And I was talking to Jason Casey about this before the service, that, that you see Christmas through the eyes of a child, and it's so much different. And um, I look at my kids now, and I watch them playing with their toys, and I watch them writing and drawing, and and they don't understand how much I love them, right? I mean, they they, they like to say, Daddy, I love you more than you love me, and, you know, they pretend, and and they know that, yeah, this guy that's holding me, he kind of likes me, I think, you know, because he holds me a lot, and yesterday I, I told my daughter, Audrey, I love her, and she said, Dad, why do you always say that? She doesn't get 
how much I love her. She doesn't know that when I'm at work, how many times I think about her during the day. She just doesn't get that. And it's the same way, same way with God, with us. You know, Psalm 139, 17 says, Oh, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. Think about that. God, the God that created the universe, the God that came down here in the body of a man and was hung on the cross, his thoughts about you cannot be numbered. They're innumerable. He thinks about you all the time. Don't you get that? I just didn't want you to leave here without knowing that. And maybe, like I said, maybe you're in a place where you didn't know that God thought about you all the time, that God loved you, that his grace covers everything you did. You need to know that it does. And if you've been coming to church for a while and you've forgotten about that, and you, you think, well, church is about, really about giving, or it's really about serving, or it's really about the way I live my life, I didn't want you to leave here thinking that. You need to know that God's grace is enough for you, it's enough for me, that, we've, that, that God is crazy about you and he thinks about you all the time. You know, in a minute, um, we're going to have communion, and we're going to really celebrate that, that gift, Christ's gift to us, the gift of his body broken for us and, and his blood spilled for us. And it seems weird to talk about celebrating crucifixion, but that's what we do. We remember that, um, that Christ died for us. And, uh, but first, I want to pray for you. And as I pray, I want to pray a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. If you look in your Bible, Ephesians 3, you can find it in there. And the prayer is this. Paul says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. So I'm going to pray that, and then after I pray, the band's going to come up and do a song. And uh, if you, when you get the, the uh, host team's going to pass out the elements during that song, and if you just hold on to them, we'll all take communion together, okay? Um, at Genesis Church, you need to know that we consider a, a communion open to anyone who's accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior of your life. If you have not done that, um, we're still really glad you're here, but we don't want you to feel awkward at all during this. So if you just let the plate pass by, um, you can sit and think about the words of this song. Um, or maybe, maybe something's hit you this morning and you just realize for the first time that <laughs> you can't do it on your own, that you can't make it happen. Your deeds are not going to be enough to get you into heaven. If you want to pray a prayer this morning, um, you can invite Christ into your life, and, and we'll do that as we pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you that you, uh, for some reason, decided to come down here and save us all. And I know it was part of your plan from the beginning of time, and uh, I just thank you for that. Thank you that you made a way for us to, to be forgiven for all of our sins, to have a purpose for our life, and to have a place with you in heaven. And God, I know that there are people in this room probably a lot of people in this room that just don't really understand or fathom how wide, how deep, how high your love is. And I just pray that over this place that everybody here would not leave without knowing that whether they, whether they believe in you, whether they believe you came to earth or not, that your love for them is enormous, that your thoughts about them are innumerable. God, I don't, I don't know why and I don't understand how, but I do thank you for your grace. Lord, it strikes me that there may be people in this room that don't know you, that have never made that commitment. And um, 
I just, in fact, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask now. I feel the Lord prompted me to do this. If you're, uh, we'll continue in prayer. If you're in this room and you've never made that commitment to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and you want to do that this morning, would you raise your hand for me? Thank you. I see that. And if you're in this room now and you've been coming to church for a long time, but for you it's become more of a game, more of a show, maybe you've lost it, maybe you just come when you serve, or maybe you just come um, because your friends are here and you want to just really recommit yourself and you want uh, Christ to be the center of your life again, would you raise your hand now? Thank you. Lord, um, you've seen the hands. I know that there are people in this room who are nervous or shy about raising their hand, and I just ask that you would be with them and comfort them too, Lord, as we go in, celebrate communion, celebrate your gift to us, and think about the grace that you've given us according to that measure. I just thank you for that. I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.